PPL family, this is Paul Williams, President and CEO of Project for Pride and Living, and welcome to the Race, Place, and Policy podcast. As many of you know, this is a vehicle that uh, we've been working with here at PPL and really having conversations with with different leaders on different topics uh, of relevance in our community and and uh, relevance to PPL's work here in, in this last year. We believe that that conversation and dialogue around critical policy topics is, is part of, of our work, uh, and, and in particular, our interest in talking about race, place, and policy. Uh, race is central to the reality of the folks who live with PPL, who go through our schools, who come through our programs. Um, place, neighborhoods matter, and we do our work in the context of place and neighborhoods and community and policy uh, increasingly matters for PPL, really uh, uh, digging into the policy issues and, and really utilizing our voice and the voice of those who uh, come through our doors and, and live with us uh, as, a, as a way of, of engaging and, and impacting policy in different systems. So great to have you with us. This month, our conversation is focusing on youth. Uh, it's summer and and many young people in particular are, are out of school. Um, but there's kind of a question about how are we engaging those young people? What opportunities do they have um, to, to, to be productive, to stay engaged, uh, to thrive? Um, and, uh, and that is a body of work that PPL has been engaged in actually for many, many years. Um, but we wanna to talk today uh, with Marcus Pope, president of an organization called Youth Prize. Uh, a partner of uh, PPL, an organization that's been in the community for, for many years, um, uh, one of the leading thinkers and, and uh, organizations around policy and youth policy in particular, and really thinking about the capacity of our community to engage young people. So Marcus, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me, Paul. It's an honor to be with you. You're someone who I've always respected and looked up to as an aspiring leader in the nonprofit sector and in philanthropy. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, listen, so so actually, I want to start, Marcus, with a little bit just about you and and just to share with us what 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 brought you to this work? Uh, what brought you to to your interest in engagement with with young people and 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 your role at Youth Prize? Well, I think, you know, Paul, that I grew up in St. Paul. I grew up in the Frogtown neighborhood and had a lot of opportunities within the community. I spent a lot of time at Halle Q. Brown Center as a young person. But I had uh, employment opportunities as a young person that really shaped who I am today and what I do, my career, or my voc vocation, as I call it. And those opportunities occurred at the Science Museum of Minnesota as a young person working at the age of 13, uh, and pretty much at 14, I knew what I wanted to do in terms of my career. I knew I wanted a career in youth development. And I spent a lot of time working across the metro as a young person, as a camp counselor. And when I became 18, I, I actually was promoted to a camp director. And in that role, I really got to see what we call talk about now in terms of disparities. You know, I, I directed camps where, you know, parents you know, took their kids all across the world, you know, and travel. And you knew that from the curriculum where we would study different places around the world. They would talk about, oh, I've been there. And then I also directed camps, which were grant funded, that were reaching out to communities who didn't have the means to uh, participate in camps. And you had kids in St. Paul who had never been to Minneapolis. 
and kids from Minneapolis who had never had a chance to explore St. Paul. And so I saw at a very young age the, the disparities, the inequity that we talk about today, you know, at 14, 15, 16. And I saw, I thought something was seriously wrong with that. And I wanted to play a role. I didn't know what I would end up doing, but I wanted to play a role in disrupting the things I saw as a young person in Minnesota throughout the Metro that disturbed me. And it led me on this journey, on this pathway to where I am now. And in a lot of ways, I'm living a dream in terms of being able to lead an organization that's really looking at policy and system change with and for young people and young people of color, indigenous young people. So yeah, that, that's fabulous. And of course, I, I, I identify with your Frogtown roots as I too am a product of Frogtown and Rondo and Summit U. Uh, we were just, we probably just missed each other by a couple of years. <laughs> um, but Yeah, but, only a couple, Paul, only a couple. <laughs> but, um, but talk about Youth Prize itself. What is Youth Prize and, and how, does it, how does it operate in the community? So our mission is to increase equity with and for Minnesota's indigenous, low-income, and racially diverse youth. We take the with and for very seriously, as you know. Half of our board is comprised of young people between the ages of 16 and 25. So we authentically integrate young people at the highest levels of our organization, which includes governance. We're very intentional about young people having opportunities in the execution of our work as staff, as partners, and as volunteers. And so we do three things. One, we mobilize and invest resources. So anywhere, any year, we invest between six and $8 million in youth programs and initiatives all across the state. We do a lot of work that I don't know a lot of people know about it in terms of training and technical support, government agencies, philanthropies, nonprofits on how to design programs with young people and refine programs so that they're more youth centered. In the last area of our work, which is kind of a part of my DNA and my bones is really the advocacy work, the small P policy advocacy, and then the big P policy advocacy and lobbying. And as you know, you know, one of our big wins during the pandemic is when we worked with young people to uh, help them achieve access to unemployment insurance benefits, which they were being denied during the pandemic. So we actually dove into legal, legal advocacy during this time, which is something we had never done. And we sued the state for denying young people federal unemployment benefits. We won that lawsuit. Over $30 million was paid out. And PPL was a tremendous partner as we organized and as we gathered young people and heard their stories um, and gathered their stories about how, as young people, students at some of your, uh, your charter schools were actually playing huge roles in supporting their families during the pandemic and denied benefits. And so lifting up those stories to get, you know, capture the hearts and minds of our legislators, but the general public was a big deal. So after we sued and won and got access to, to federal benefits, we actually then moved to lobby to change the state law, which was the major reason why they were initially denied those benefits. So that was a huge victory, a team effort with all of our partners, including PPL, to really uplift young people's stories and empower them to, and to be able to change you know, a, a law. That's a big deal. Yeah, that, that, that was a tremendous uh, effort and, and, a, and a real success. I, I think Minnesota was only one of a handful of states that didn't allow young people access to unemployment benefits uh, 
And so, so not only winning the lawsuit and, and freeing up those resources for those households, uh, which young people are tremendous contributors actually to the economic stability of, of their households in many cases, uh, but also to get the law changed uh, in, in the long run. Um, and, and you mentioned, I'll just, uh, for our listeners' uh, benefit, um, PPL has done a, a wide range of youth work over the years. We run, as some of you know, uh, uh, two alternative high schools, which are high schools for young people that aren't, aren't making it in the Minneapolis public schools. Uh, we're one of a network of seven or eight of those alternative schools here in the, in the Twin Cities. Um, uh, and, and for us at PPL, that's part of a larger youth employment strategy, actually. Um, and so our strong emphasis on, on, a, on a workforce readiness curriculum and, uh, and, and what's called the LEAP program, which I'll, I'll have you talk a little bit more about here, Marcus, um, where we are working with county-involved youth through those alternative high schools um, and, and really providing a wide range of wraparound supports, but also making sure that that workforce readiness curriculum is kind of in place. And what I've been so excited about is the way that our partnership with, with uh, Youth Prize and, and, and uh, what now has kind of been created, the Opportunity Youth Network, uh, a network of organizations, advocates, uh, and young people themselves. Uh, kind of working on a variety on a variety of, of systems change and policy changes. Um, can you just talk a little? One, can you can you define what we mean when we say opportunity youth? And secondly, can you just talk about kind of the what's what's exciting about that work uh, that we're doing, both through LEAP but also through the broader opportunity youth network? Yeah, sure. So opportunity youth are young people typically between the ages of 16 and 24 that are either system involved or disconnected from school and work. So when you talk about the work of your alternative schools, you're really serving an opportunity youth population. Young people who, who where the traditional school model didn't speak to them in ways where they could really realize their full potential. And so that's what you're doing. Um, and you're seizing a tremendous opportunity to help them actually reach their full potential. And so we've been doing that work for a number of years. PPL has been a, a leader with the LEAP program in bringing, raising visibility to the needs of this population when a lot of funders and a lot of government agencies, they've been overlooked or the approach to working with young people who've been system involved or disconnected was just punitive. It's all, you know, let's lock them up or let's, you know, let's do intensive supervision um, but what we've done is really flipped it and looked at what are the possibilities in terms of connecting them to careers and industries that are in demand. You know, we have some huge workforce challenges in terms of really, you know, employers, you know, there's there's hiring signs everywhere. And there's industries that really are dependent on, on workers. And so we've been doing a lot of work. PPL has been a leader in this area and really um, realizing the opportunity to connect young people who have been dependent on systems and really shifting that to really being, you know, creating, helping us create a thriving community by connecting to industries where there's a huge demand for workers. Yeah, and, and I, I know that one of the real, um, and, and right now, as you said, you know, there's such a need for workers. And I think if I'm correct, yeah, um, our youth participation rates in the economy, in jobs, is actually down markedly. 
Um, and and can you just say a little bit more? I, it, I mean, the point here is we desperately need, every, I've been saying this for years now, we desperately need every worker we can get, including young people. And and how, how, how are you seeing that kind of um, play out here as we come out of the out of the pandemic. Yeah, what, what we're seeing, we're seeing young people step up in ways. The, the youth unemployment rate is at historic lows. Uh, the challenge that we have, though, is that um, the jobs they're in, the big concern is, are they, are they in jobs and industries that lead to living sustainable wages? And that's the big challenge that we have. Um, with young people. And a lot of the employment is seasonal and it's not, you know, and they really need consistent um, employment. But young people are stepping up um, in some really big ways. We need to create as adults better conditions for them to thrive in different workplaces. And I think when we've talked about workforce development, we've looked at it, it's been employer centric. And clearly, we need to do things that we need workers that can meet the needs of employers. But I think there's also a need for employers to look at what they can do within their workplaces to create more, you know, inclusive environments, more welcoming environments for young people. You know, I'm, you know, I know we talked about our, our difference in age, but when you think about a 20 year old, you know, their perspective on work is totally different than, you know, than mine. And so when I think about a, as youth prize as an employer that's thinking about young people, I have to really interrogate some of my perspectives about work, what's necessary, what are the requirements. And there needs to be a negotiation around that. I can't just look to be a place where young people can thrive. I can't just say, hey, this is the way it's done. Marcus is in charge. Um, we need to really think about our workplaces and how they're how they're welcoming for young people. And I think that's a gap. Yeah, and, and I know um, yeah, we're just, we just literally yesterday and today are releasing the Governor's Council on Economic Expansion uh, report. Uh, I had the, the honor of co-chairing that. Um, and you were one of our early speakers um, and, I, and you, you did a wonderful job. And there were others who really recognized that actually young people need to be part of the solution to our workforce challenges. And I, and I think you're touching about on that in some, some really powerful ways. Um, uh, I, I'm just wondering if you can talk a little bit more uh, about uh, kind of some of the other topics that the Opportunity Youth Network and the young people themselves, again, I wanna keep coming back to your earlier point about the role of young people themselves in driving the agenda. Can you say a little bit about that and maybe talk about some of the other topics that, that they're that they're focused on these days. Yeah, we're working with a number of youth-led organizations. Uh, Bridge Makers is one of them, World Youth Connect. And these are youth-led organizations that have young people who have been disconnected from school, who haven't been able to thrive in traditional school settings, but have a lot to contribute in terms of ideas around how to make the system work better to connect young people to careers and for them to be able to thrive in education. And so, We've relied heavily on young people to help uh, inform kind of our strategies going forward. Let me give you an example. Uh, a few months ago, we had uh, we have sort of like a, a, a session, virtual learning session called Disrupting with Purpose, and we had a session on driver's license. Driver's license, and one of the things that we've been pushing 
through the Opportunity Youth Network is that a driver's license is a workforce credential. Uh, and I think in, in a lot of ways, driver's license have become, you know, a, a thing of the privilege, particularly for young people and young adults. Uh, when I was in high school, it was very connected to the school curriculum. It wasn't cost prohibitive in the way it is now. Right now, it's very privatized. And so a lot of young people don't get their driver's license, but they still drive um, in some ways by necessity because of the roles they play with their families and the fact that they need to have a job. And it's sort of counterproductive to have a system that shuts young people out from driver's license. So we had young people telling very personal um, stories about um, needing access, being able to drive and not being able to afford driver's, li driver's license. Uh, and what that converse le conversation led to, and we have to thank uh, Lang Becker for her leadership over in Ramsey County, is that they, a couple of weeks ago, we participated in a press conference. We were invited because we influenced the young people on the panel with the facilitation of the Opportunity Youth Network, influence Ramsey County to really think about establishing a pool of resources to give uh, uh, scholarships for driver's ed to young people. So any young person in Ramsey County that is a part of a workforce program can get a scholarship for driver's education, which is critical. And you know, there are a lot of jobs, you know, if you want to work in construction, which is an in-demand industry where they need workers, you really can't do it without a driver's license, you know, and there are a number of places when you look at transportation. I know we've made some advancements in, in public transit, but a driver's license is just is critical. And it oftentimes just going through the process. If you don't have that, you're always you're already a step behind because you're perceived as not necessarily being as reliable or dependable. Yeah, I, and again, I when they came back, I, I love this, and this is this is the beauty of 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 voice, right? Uh, they came back and told me, well, well, we're working on driver's licenses now in this program. I said, what? Right? Because I, I was I was coming off the high of you know we went to the legislature and and you know won the lawsuit first, and then got the, the legislation changed, and then I you know you know several months passed by, and they well they're working on driver's licenses, and I said, what? But it just makes total sense, right? I mean, these are these are the not so small but really significant barriers that oftentimes these are the systemic barriers that folks talk about, right? That are that are the that are, that end up being significant challenges and a real hindrance to getting into the flow of work to begin with, right? And so that absolutely that's, uh, that is that is uh, again really just smart. And again, when you in fact, listen to young people. When you listen to folks, period, in community, community, the wisdom is in the community. We will learn what needs to be done and what is needed when, in fact, we listen and engage with community. And so that that's obviously been a real, a real uh, 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 key uh, value for PPL. I think for a long time. So I have a little bit of a rhetorical question here, but a serious one. Um, just around kind of the violence um, and and the not so much you know necessarily gang activity, but I mean a lot of the crime and violence oftentimes is is directly connected to young people and young people not in fact being engaged. Um, and what we're seeing kind of in our neighborhoods, South Side, North Side, St. Paul, um, in, across the country. Um, can you just talk about um, what's your sense of 
of the connections between that lack of engagements and, and some of those other activities. Um, do you see a connection there? And um, I'm, I'm curious about your perspective kind of over time. Yeah, no, love to love to answer this question. You know, we always talk about the group of um, it's a multidisciplinary group of law enforcement professionals that um, that gather. It's a national organization called Fight Crime Invest in Kids. And what they talk about is that the times when young people are um, more likely to be a victim of crime or perpetrate crime are between three and six. It's out of school time, you know, when school isn't in session and what they have advocated for historically and continue to advocate for is investment in young people and in youth programs. And what we've seen, and you probably, you have a great historical perspective on this too, Paul, because of, because you've been around for a while, a little bit longer than I have. Um, but uh, we've seen a huge disinvestment in opportunities for young people, A. But B, we've seen a huge disinvestment in kind of opportunities that allow young people to just be young people and just to grow and develop. Everything is so specialized, so focused. And that leads to some another, another contributor to what we have and seeing the increased crime, the mental health issues that we see among young people. Um, young, there's a, everybody's under pressure and the pandemic sort of exacerbated and exposed that. Um, when we see suicide rates and when we see just the challenges people are facing. But we need funding and opportunities for young people to just to hang out and be young people in community, in safe spaces, with caring adults. And that's not talked about in the philanthropic community and in kind of circles within governance. Circles. Everything is so um, prescriptive in terms of what we're trying to achieve within those spaces that we're not even letting young people to just flourish, you know, in the way that they can and to find their spark, to find their connection. You know, I knew what I wanted to be at 14, but that's not, you know, some people that's the case, but sometimes you need to experience some things or sometimes you realize I want to be this now and then I want to be that. And so young people need a range of opportunities just to connect with young people and to grow and to develop. And the crime, I think we've seen the, the rollback in strategies that we know work um, and crime. I know you're a former deputy mayor, so, you know, crime is a very political issue. And with it being so politicized, sometimes decisions around public safety are made based on politics and not necessarily what we know works, you know, for young people. And what we know works for young people is that the vast majority of young people need opportunity they need connections to community. And when they make mistakes, they need opportunities to restore themselves, restore their community within community with providers that hold them accountable for their actions, but also help them move in positive pathways. And one of the concerns I have is that we may move more towards some tough on crime policies that have never worked. Um, and even during the span where we've seen really good strategy around supporting young people in community, and you know about this, the work we did with the Community Ambassadors Program, we've seen dips in crime at the same time where we've seen some really great strategies to reduce the juvenile detention population and so forth. But I think we need to kind of reevaluate our um, 
kind of some of the strategies we're imposing. And I'm concerned about us moving in the wrong direction when it comes to this work. And I'm not saying that there are some times where young people need to be held accountable in very serious ways. And there's some young people that pose a threat to public safety, but the vast majority don't and need to be supported in community. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and, and certainly, um, you know, when I look back really over the last 20 years and, you know, my first 10 years of my career was spent actually in philanthropy and, and seeing the decline over time in foundation and corporate support of after school, kind of out of school youth development programming. And then when I look, for example, at government, right, and see how government, because of tight municipal budgets, you know, have cut back on parks and rec programs. Exactly. Yep. Uh, and, and closed parks and, and, and have limited or very limited uh, uh, parks programming in the buildings that they have. Um, and, and that, the combination of those two, we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be, but nobody's talking about it, Paul. And I think we have to be, we have to raise these issues because in the crime issues, they're not talking about the decline in those type of opportunities for young people. Um, and it just pains me. And I, I'm really trying to kind of step out and say, hey, this needs to be talked about in philanthropic circles. And I think you raised some really great points about, you know, park and rec programming and library hours and all those things that we know work um, in terms of keeping young people safe. They're good public safety measures in communities, and they keep young people on the right pathway by giving them opportunity. So, um, I, and I'm, I'm just again thinking about kind of that those those investments, and I want to pivot a little bit, a little bit more to what in fact works. Um, and and so I'm just thinking about uh, uh, technology, um, and uh, what are some what are some programs strategies that you've seen that have been really effective with young people. I know there's some work going on right now with uh, kind of on-ramping into uh, careers and thinking about that a little bit differently. Any, any insights that you have about particular strategies that you think are really effective? Well, I think there's, you know, the career pathways work, really working with young people to identify their interests, their passion, and putting them on pathways that are um, connected to high growth, in-demand industries, um, strategies that get young people, particularly opportunity youth, um, working and in post-secondary opportunities or bridging secondary and post-secondary opportunities so that they're not just stuck in secondary school when they can do dual enrollment opportunities that get them credentials early, get them making money early because they need resources. And particularly, I'm thinking about young people at your alternative school. Those are strategies that I think really work for opportunity youth um, because their needs are so great for their families to just support themselves. Those are really good. And then I'll go back to just, we need opportunities for young people just to be young people. Mm. Um, and that's not anti-impact. That's just really thinking about what type of things we need for, for young people in our community. And I think we're lacking big time. I, you probably remember the state allocation. This was back in 2003. There was a state allocation for after-school programming. And communities came together and, and, and um, provided just opportunities. If it was rec programming, if it was arts-based programming, if it was, you know, 
get moving at last athletic base. We need more of that in our community. That's great public safety. That's the best public safety you can do um, from my perspective. Um, but that we've rolled back so much of those opportunities in terms of private funding and, um, and you know, some of our public dollars where, you know, we're seeing the impact of that in the community. And I think the pandemic, it really exposed that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we, we've been we've been talking a lot about you know opportunity youth and and, uh, and the lens in particular that certainly PPL has been doing some of this work through and I think Youth Prize does as well. Um, but but how does approaching all of this through a race equity lens uh, in our communities? Um, how does that uh, how does how do we how does that frame that work? Why is that critical and, and important? I think it's very important. I mean, Minnesota leads the nation in racial disparities. And when you look at our demographic trends, we're not going to be successful and prosperous as a community if we don't address our disparities. And we all will benefit if we can find ways to level the playing field and create opportunities and pathways for everybody to be successful. This is a huge need. I think one of the things, you know, with the pandemic, you know, we realized that, you know, there were some health disparities that we needed to address because it was exacerbating an already difficult pandemic to capture, you know, to, to address. And I think hopefully we've learned something um, so that we can begin to think seriously about racial disparities. This is the other thing I would say about disparities. If you want to think about race equity, you can't do it in Minnesota. And I would say anywhere around the world without centering young people. Because when you look at the demographics in Minnesota, we're talking about young people when we talk about racial and ethnically diverse populations. And so you need to make sure you're centering young people. And if you're also thinking about strategies that are sustainable, you also need to think about young people because young people, I say young people are our present and our future. You need to integrate early strategies that address disparities so that we can sustain them over time. And the best way to do that is to center young people. So I'm always, you know, if it's an issue around economic development, if it's an issue, you know, whatever the issue is, they all impact young people and we need to get young people engaged. I'm also concerned about, and I know you didn't ask this question, but I'm going to integrate it in. I'm also concerned about a healthy civic culture and a healthy democracy. I think there are a lot of things that indicate that our democracy is in jeopardy, uh, particularly if you look at, uh, you know, what, a $9 billion surplus, and we can't figure out how to um, how to get that money spent and get that money deployed in ways that work for, for residents. I think that's an indicator that something's wrong with our democracy. And it's not about blaming one party or another. That's an indicator that just something's wrong. And so we need ways to get young people more active and engaged on boards and commissions. I'm really thinking about, you know, school boards and the way young people stepped up in the pandemic to talk about some of the conditions young people were going through. You know, why can't a 16 year old vote in a school board election? You know, and I think when you look at some of the arguments they were making and some of the things they were saying, very practical, common sense solutions they were proposing and they're impacted by education. So I want us at Youth Prize to be a champion for young people to be more civically engaged. We need young people voting. We need to get, you know, 
you know, we need to increase the 18 to 20 year old voting rate and get them more engaged. We need good candidates for elected office. Um, you know, we have people dropping off of school boards because of the dysfunction. We need people being able to talk about issues across different perspectives and have reasonable measured perspectives based on facts. Uh, all those things are lacking in some ways. And so young people offer an alternative to some of that and not saying that us adults just have it all messed up. Young people need adults too, because of the wisdom and things that we bring and knowledge. Um, but we need to create, we need to shift kind of some of the directions that we're going in, in our, um, in our community, within our democracy and so forth. So. Well, and, and it's a, that's a fantastic point. And I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, uh, for uh, again, that engagement, right, that early engagement around civic engagement and getting involved, being aware. I mean, uh, we, a lot of folks talk about how important that is, but I don't know that we do the best job of that. Um, you know, it, it's hard. Sometimes I, I get this sense that, geez, it's hard to engage young people. And actually, it's not. When you go to <laughs> their turf, and, and open up the conversation, in fact, um, they're quite engaged. Uh, and some, of the, some of the young people in the LEAP program have been doing a radio show. I, I'm sure you've, you've yeah. heard it. I, I, I just, I, I, we got, a, we got a, a preview of some of that where I, it's just fabulous, right? There's so much energy and so much uh, good energy. And, and I actually think, you know, this is a general statement, but, but I, young people are incredibly intelligent and incredibly um, connected and, and certainly social media and kind of the, how, how quickly information moves now, but, but they are very, very capable and very quick uh, in their ability to decipher a lot. A lot comes at young people, right? I think, again, I'm almost 60. And I, I, I think when I was a young person, I didn't have to, I didn't have to process all of this, right? I mean, it was, it was radio, TV, and a handful of blocks, right, for me in the Summit U neighborhood. That's what I had to process, right, and my family, mm -hmm. right. But but boy, what multitudes of of, of social media tools, uh, information flying, what's real, what's not, um, yeah. is really is really I think complicated, and I think actually young people do quite a good job of it. So. They've done an amazing job. And if you think about what young people have gone through the last couple of years, you know, distance learning, disconnected from school, um, locally, the George Floyd murder um, and what that meant. Um, we had we had people storm our Capitol. <laughs> you know, what I mean, like literally like people rebels, you know, storm our Capitol. And there's different types of narratives about are they rebels or are they patriots and you have to disconnect you have to dis dissect all that as a young person and so this is the you know this is the world that we've created for young people and I, you probably have some perspective on this paul um given your experience but we have headlines every we have things that aren't headlines every day that 20 years ago would be major headlines like we have we have major issues. I don't know. Catastrophes or major stories like, wow, that's news that that just you don't hear about because there's so much of it that, you know, 20 years ago, that would be front page. Yeah. Am I wrong? 
No, no, that 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 is right. That is right. Well, um, just fabulous stuff, Marcus. And and I just want to say um, how grateful we are at PPL for your partnership with uh, with all of our work uh, in the LEAP program uh, with our alternative schools. Uh, uh, we've been doing a lot of work around Step Up, and and uh, uh, you all I know have been quite involved in in that. Um, the after-school programming that we do with with young people that live in our housing, uh, all of that uh, is is connected uh, to the to the work and the advocacy and the uh, convening that you all do. So we're grateful for your partnership, um, and uh, um, thanks for taking time to join us. Oh, absolutely! Thanks for having me. It's always good to to, to chat with you. Absolutely. Well, and thanks to all of our listeners uh, for joining us today. Uh, I'm Paul Williams from PPL, and this has been the Race, Place, and Policy Podcast. Uh, Drop us a note at communications at ppl-inc.org. Give us your thoughts or any ideas that you'd like to hear about in in future conversations. Um, And we hope that you'll subscribe and sign up for notifications from wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Uh, You can always find us on our website at ppl-inc.org. Until next time, be well, stay safe.